Michael Bolton, we're really gonna need you to focus up. Roger that, let me try with another film. Wait. Life is a box of chocolates, and my name is Forrest Gump. Not better. Though I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, I give Jenny all my love. bi-weekly podcast in which we decide upon a theme, recommend records that fit that theme, and then meet back up to share our thoughts. I'm Joey Albin. I'm Darvel Hurlbutt. And I'm James Doyle. So before we get into this album, something I realized in my head going through all the 2023 albums, I was like, well, I guess I'll pick I guess I'll pick this one because I think I listen to that the most, even though honestly, most of what I listened to was stuff that came out in 2022. And I realized one of those albums actually did come out in 2023 and I probably would have picked it, but I'm glad we get to talk about this. album. But just because they're local, the album I probably would have picked is the album Cat in the Rain from Turnpike Troubadours. Well, I should have seen it million miles away we have started good mm-hmm. Oklahoma band uh, it would have I guess been the first country album of the podcast uh, so we'll have to put a pin in that one but yeah just go listen to Turnpike Troubadours very good album but uh, this week we're talking about the album Spine by the Danish artist Mirkor and that is how you pronounce it. We were just talking about this before we started recording. It's pronounced Mirkor. I'm not going to fault anyone for saying Merkur. It's actually the Icelandic word for darkness. A little education. Oh. oh. Uh, but yeah, so Mirkor is the uh, solo project of... Amelie Brun, who is a Danish musician. So before she was a musician, as I mentioned, she was actually a fashion supermodel. She starred in a Chanel commercial that Martin Scorsese directed. And funnily enough, I said the wrong one last week. She was actually in the video for the song Jack Sparrow by The Lonely Island, which is actually one of my favorite musical creations ever if you haven't seen that go uh watch it it's very hilarious you will see her briefly playing the role of jenny when they are reenacting forrest gump (laughs) uh but yeah so mirka originally when she started in 2014 it was like a secret identity thing and then people pretty quickly figured out who it was uh started out just very first couple albums very straight ahead straightforward black metal And then she kind of got more and more folk influenced. The album before this one was a pure like Scandinavian folk album. This album, she's kind of come back around doing like a synthesis of folk and black metal and pop. We'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk about that. Uh, This album was tracked at Sigur Rós's studio in Iceland. There's a, if you get the chance, there's a really good article on Kerrang! about 
this album and how it was influenced by the birth of her first child uh, not too long ago. I did also want to share a quote that I thought James would like, given our discussions on melodic metal. Uh, she says, I don't really love super melodic metal. I think it's a very thin line before it gets too cheesy. <laughs> so for me, it was finding that middle place of darkness that also has these light choruses. So sounds like she is also not a fan of power metal, James. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the album, on this band, uh, even your experience with black metal? I, I don't know. I'm just kind of curious. So would you say this album, like, would you put this black metal as a label on the genre for this album? Overall, I would list that as one of the genres on this album. Hmm. I think if you had to pick one genre, I would call it like melodic black metal, maybe. But yeah, I don't know. That's a good, I mean, it's a fair question. I, and the reason I ask, I don't have any experience with black metal. I would have assumed black metal would have been heavier than this album, but okay, we'll get more into that when we get into the tracks and stuff. I did not love this album. I was surprised how much, how similar it was to the last album you picked, Joey. I was like, oh, okay. So more kind of in the same ballpark. And it's funny because like, I didn't even really think about it. And then I realized like, oh, dang, I picked like two woman fronted metal albums in a row, which yeah. <laughs> was not really intentional. And it's also kind of funny because I wouldn't say woman fronted metal or even metal is all that representative of my listening habits. So it's weird that I kind of got so specific with it, but <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Too. And it, and on top of that too, it's the also European and oh yeah and then very i kind of like that folk element but like you know some melodies that wouldn't surprise me to show up in like a lord of the rings something you know like uh -huh. it just there seemed a lot to there that i was like oh is this like joey's main like when i'm listening to music I mean, this is the stuff i'm listening <laughs> I, to i would yeah i would say no it isn't but also like <laughs> i guess like scoreboard you know <laughs> maybe it is yeah but yeah, so I mean, we'll get into more in each track. The other thing I've been trying to figure out with this album is the album cover, because the album's called Spine, and this looks like a spine that branches off into kind of, you know, fork in the road spine. Mm -hmm. So I've been trying to figure out if this is like a two-headed something or a... Anyway, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't have any guesses. I didn't find anything about it, but... Yeah, it looks like if there was like a deer or a cow that had two heads, maybe. I don't know. The The other thing I'll mention about this album is I, of all the podcast episodes we've done, this is the least I've ever listened to an album before the episode. But because of that, I would say it's probably the most like intentional listen through I've ever had of an album on this too. Normally I just have it playing all the time throughout the week or something. But this one I did like sit down, headphones in, eyes closed, just like really getting it with the notes and everything. Um, I mean, and I listened to it a few times before that also. But uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting just having that different kind of experience with the album too. So anyway, we'll see how that comes through in my comments on it. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting that Darvel mentioned that point at the end about intentional listening. Because when I first put this record on, um, for work, I have to drive a lot, like all the time. And so a lot of times, whenever we, we have our new album pick, I'll put it on a day I have a commute and I'll get to listen to it like at least two times through, um, if not three times, because this one was short. I got to listen to it three times. And I was just like, that's yeah, all right. It's like a good, like middle of the road, black metal kind of thing. And that's, that's fine. And whatever. And, uh, just as I had it on the car, I'd just be like, yeah, it's cool. Like background music, like nothing special about it. And then, um, there was one day that I was like, I need to take notes on this record. And as I was listening to it, I was like, Oh, that's odd. Why, why did that happen? And so like, I made a note about it and got, and then that was where like the rabbit hole started of like me just like going into each of these tracks and being like, there's so much here. This is really well written. This is really clever. I would not have done this this way. And um, yeah, this quickly shot up my list. It, I think at its best, this reminds me of one of my favorite black metal bands, which is Panopticon. Who that does a really good job of mixing in melody. Yeah. That was actually going to be this, that was like close second place for the album selection because Panopticon's album that came out in 23 is super, super good. Uh, so we were very close to discussing that instead of this album. Yeah. And, and I, I see why, even though I think the actual like output of those albums is very different. And I think if you showed it to a person who's not versed in black metal, they'd be like, these are not even close. Like, like what are you, what yeah. are you doing? Um, but I, 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 th- I see the overlap there and I, I, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed it. There are lots of cool things to talk about for, for those of you who are listening, who are not metal fans and are not music theory fans. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's going to be your least favorite episode. <laughs> um, and it seems like every time we talk about metal, we get out in the weeds a little bit on music theory, but uh, yeah, lots of cool stuff. Yeah, it's 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 funny, Darvel, because about your question, like, is this black metal? I think every black metal fan out there is probably going, it is definitely not black metal. What are you talking about? You know, like, <laughs> like there are moments that are very clearly black metal, but overall, no, it's not. But I think that's what makes this album good is that it is more interesting. I don't know about more interesting, but generically speaking, it's, 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 it's varied, you know, it's kind of funny coming from the last episode where we're talking about genre a lot, whereas, and and kind of, we kind of continue that conversation with this album where there's some cool stuff where I think she really does a good job of like synthesizing multiple genres rather than there are times where she's kind of just going back and forth between different genres but then there are some moments where to my knowledge she does some stuff that i don't think i've heard anyone else do in the black metal genre like there is a genre melodic black metal um like in fact i really love the band keep of kalesin that is a a melodic black metal band Eternity. We won't the agents and leave mortality. 
It doesn't sound like this though. It's basically like, what if we made black metal like slightly more radio friendly, you know, with like slightly more melodic vocals, better production. It's not what this album. So I, I think it is kind of like a, to my knowledge, like a unique expression of black metal that I think is, is pretty cool. Something, so I just to kind of get it out there, I do like black metal a lot. Uh, I like a lot of different kinds. I like the really raw lo-fi stuff. I like the very high production stuff. I like the more ambient stuff. You know, it's a pretty wide range of black metal genres that I do like. I think something, something I've always told people about black metal when they're like, why do you like this? Because some of it is pretty rough sounding is I think maybe out of any genre, I think black metal does the best job of musically evoking like the emotions and imagery they're attempting to. Like when you listen to black metal, you're thinking like cold winter, desolate forests and, you know, like in sadness and, and kind of death and destruction. And I think it's a very successful genre in that regard that like the kind of transmission element of music that I think other genres, I mean, like country, you know, is relying primarily on lyrics to communicate something. Whereas the music is almost interchangeable, you know, like it's not like, Oh, this music is always about, always makes me feel this way independent of the lyrics. And I like, I don't know, I'm getting in the weeds a little bit, but I think something I, that's something I appreciate about black metal is that, it is a very evocative and provocative genre. And I think this album is right squarely in, in that tradition as well. I, I do think it would be for the benefit of the listener if we could define black metal a little bit more. Because I, I know for, like for my wife, who's not a fan of metal, if I'm playing, you know, Gorgut's... or Insomnium. Or a band like this, or, or sorry, a band like Panopticon, not like Mirker. Like, to her, it's just, yeah. it's all just loud noise. And she doesn't see the delineations between the genres. So like, what makes yeah, black, so metal like, black metal? Very quick historical thing, like back in the 80s, as thrash was becoming a genre and metal was getting heavier and heavier, you kind of had a branch, which one of them became death metal, one of them became black metal. And there were some kind of proto-black metal bands, like there's a famous band, Venom, that had an album called Black Metal, that, that's kind of where the name came from. Black metal. Black metal. Black metal. I think some kind of hallmarks of the black metal genre if you were to kind of just describe it as in sonic terms, very like trebly, buzzy chainsaw guitars. With lots of, for the guitarists out there, like lots of tremolo picking. You know, like rather than having riffs, it's more of this kind of just like buzzing guitars. 
another big part of it is ultra, ultra, ultra fast drums. So like blast beats are a big part of it. Or like extremely fast D beats. Another big part of black metal historically has been uh, pretty low production value. Like some of the biggest, most important black metal albums were like recorded through a boombox, essentially. Like, <laughs> like it's not gonna, you're not gonna get the wall of thick guitars like Metallica or something. It's gonna be like kind of ugly sounding honestly like it's an intentional intentionally ugly sounding genre and, that, and there are exceptions to that um like one of the biggest black metal bands is demu borgir and they are very like clean high production um but typically that's part of it um and then like in terms of lyrical themes, it's usually a lot about like death and sadness, um, lots of winter forest imagery. There's a substantial amount of like Viking pagan imagery, given that the genre kind of started in Scandinavia. Usually pretty anti-Christianity is, is often a big part of it, or if not anti-Christianity, like pro-pagan or or that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, in a, you know, no, infamously, there's a whole section of black metal that is very anti-Christianity, and a lot of them went to jail for burning churches down or murdering people. Uh, so whole other discussion that there can be some very problematic elements in black metal as well. However, there's also, that's not a given with the genre. Um, but yeah, the, the super fast drums, buzzsaw guitar, uh, kind of shrieking vocals are all pretty textbook black metal yeah and and one thing too that you mentioned in kind of the controversial elements i think it'd be good to point out you know the the showmanship the history of the like war paint kind of makeup yeah. and yeah. also the like animal heads on pikes and stuff at the concerts right yeah and i mean and there's a wide variety because like some of them it's just like oh yeah these are guys on stage playing music all the way to like you said like burning crosses and goat heads and blah, blah, blah. But most of them are somewhere in the middle, including Mirker, who has some of the state, you know, she's wearing black and has some face paint, you know, but corpse paint, as it's often called in that's well, black, that was the word black metal. For. Yeah. Yeah. Important bands are immortal. Dark Throne. Mayhem. Emperor. Um, those are some of the big ones. 
So first track is Bullfaird. Uh, which is a word. It's it's the word for uh, a funeral pyre or bonfire, just if you're curious. No lyrics in this hmm. song, but... I, I like intro tracks. We've established this. And I think that there, there are some fascinating choices here at the, the beginning of the record. I like the fact, and this is something we can circle back to on other tracks too, there's a uh, a certain like range that the vocalist feels very comfortable in, and I think there are a lot of really creative ways of using notes within that range without making it sound too samey, which is something that a lot of people don't do. <laughs> you know, yeah, you, you can kind of hear, uh, you know, uh, Joe, you and I were texting about the Alkaline Trio record. And, you know, that like, oh, that Matt Skiba always does is always like the same three notes. Yeah, it's in every <laughs> it's like you always hear it in the background. So there's a lot of this kind of like descending line down to D that happens throughout the record here. What makes this track stand out to me is that there's like this pedal D that never goes anywhere. It's just there and kind of like existing throughout the entirety. But they keep layering textures over it at one minute and you get this big bass drop and then a little bit later you get this kind of like sawtoothy synth that starts like pulsing in and out but it's all against these natural recorded instruments Mm -hmm. so there's there's a pretty strong dichotomy there it's it is an intro track there's not a whole lot to say about it but i found those those four elements really stood out to me as neat yeah i don't have anything to say about it other than it the handful there were a handful of times well a handful there are two times i went to listen to this album like the first two times i went to listen to it that i got like 20 seconds into the instrumental and was like i'll listen to this another time and just <laughs> went to a different <laughs> album or it. so it blocked me for a while but i finally broke past it and uh, made it to track two so i like this little intro track this track doesn't tell you this, but if you listen to the album, you kind of realize this track kind of introduces some kind of key elements of Mirkur as an artist, which is what James, you mentioned that there is these kind of contrasting expressions. So like we have an elect, we have a synthesizer, you know, electronic, we have the droney stuff. And then we have these like folk instruments. So what, what we hear on this is I'm pretty sure is a nickel harpa, which Mm. is kind of like a violin, but bigger, you you play it in your lap. And instead of holding the strings down, it has keys that engage the strings. Mm. Um, She, she plays that a lot. I think something else that's interesting on this album, it doesn't happen in this song, but it, it hints at it. So, Anything on this album that is like metal, so anything with distorted guitars and drum set, the production is a little bit lo-fi. It's not like completely ratty lo-fi, but like I think it's very intentionally not perfect high production. Certainly not like what 
that within temptation album what they're going for not that but then anything else so like electronic stuff the acoustic instruments orchestral stuff is like pristine crystal clear quality and i think having those two things together is pretty interesting the next song is the maybe the best example of that but like when you're hearing kind of imperfect sounding metal alongside like very clear sounding other stuff i I think is is pretty interesting let me grab one of my cats who's being knocked against my door right now (laughs) (laughs) two hours later so sorry about that my orange cat was against the door and the other cat was just hitting him (laughs) (laughs) we were talking because he got up and darvel was like so he said the cat was being slammed against the door like being knocked against and i thought that was like a weird way to say the cat is knocking against the door but maybe you're, yeah, so it was being knocked against the door. Yeah, he, he was like literally being knocked into the door by the other cat. And he was and he was just like yowling. And, and so I, I opened the door and I, I went over to Megan's, uh, Megan's in bed and I was like, what, did you not hear them? And she's like, I have my AirPods in. <laughs> she's like, they're really annoying if I don't. <laughs> so, so sorry about that. No worries. Are we on track two? Uh, I mean, we can be. Yeah, so track two is Like Humans. I don't know if this was officially a single or not, but I think it is effectively the single from the album. I think this is a really cool song. This is the one I mentioned earlier where like, I don't know if I've heard any other black metal or any, any artist do what this song does, especially the very last chorus where you have the soaring clean pop vocals over like raw roaring racing black metal like i've never heard that i've heard soaring black metal vocals over it but like the kind of clean euro pop vocals on top of this like raw black metal i think is just like really cool yeah so this was the first song that sent me into like a frenzy because i really enjoyed it and then i was like there's a note that does not belong here and i've got to figure out what's happening so when you get to that first chorus, yep, you have that. It is pretty poppy that the talk to me like humans do. And the whole kind of song kind of has G as a key center, like a little bit. And that whole melody is, you know, hanging out in the A and it's it goes down to the D. And then on the... Am I the only one? Is a B yeah, when it, natural? It's basically like a key change, kind of. <laughs> Am I the only but it's just that note, that one note, it mm. just hangs out of that B natural. And I was like, what is happening? And so when you finally get through what you're talking about at the end, where you have this like really aggressive black metal section, and she sings 
the chorus for the last time, it hits so hard. And it's because she finally just goes up to the D that you've wanted yeah. to hear like the entire Am song. Am I the only one? Am I the only one? Yeah, she goes up to the, the note that you wanted to hear. And oh man, it it's so effective. It's It's just like, it's the perfect suspension of of any sort of release for like three minutes and then when you finally get it you're just like yeah <laughs> hmm. that's interesting because i never like i always like I, the last time that they sing the chorus like i it was more like hit me harder but i just assumed it was because the music cut out and it's just the vocals but i wonder if there is that element that I was that was getting it to where it was with all that music theory stuff you just explained. Well, and and for the the listener, kind of we're talking about like what is black metal. This is the very last course when we hear the like super, super fast drums and guitars, like musically, not necessarily vocally, but like that music is that is black metal, just to kind of key you in. I was gonna ask about that drum beat because it definitely shows up a lot later throughout this album and that that helps me better understand it because especially on one of those tracks what is it the track six i was like what is going on with this drummer but yeah it's a genre thing so that that makes it yeah another thing that she her version of black metal is very heavily influenced by I would call it a subgenre of black metal, even though it actually came before black metal, which is Viking metal, which you'll hear a lot more like six, eight, like like kind of this galloping rhythm, which is kind of a hallmark of black metal. And then going back into this kind of ultra fast blast beat stuff, those are the kind of two black metal flavors she she does a lot on this album i didn't realize there was viking metal like i knew there were metal bands that do viking stuff but i didn't realize there was a genre for it yeah and like it's weird it actually came solidified as a genre like before black metal like one of the really important kind of inventors of viking metal is the band bathory And the, the lead singer, songwriter, guitarist, his name was Quarthon. I don't I don't know his real name. Quarthon was his performing name. He he kind of invented that style that, like I said, kind of is parallel to early black metal. And then at this point, they've kind of fully mixed together. So I don't like this song. <laughs> it's uh <laughs> I think especially when the chorus comes in, just the all the effects on the vocals, it being doubled, just very like, kind of like breathy, airy feel of it. I'm just like, really takes me out of it. It's just not a sound I enjoy. Like the verse, I'm like, okay, I'm all right. But every time like chorus said, I'm like, I, I can't even find like the right stuff to compare it to. But like, Enya, I, I guess yeah, like I it just... I was going to suggest a little bit in you, like, oh, really? 
Yeah. So I heard Inya, but the one comparison I kept coming back to a lot was Dido. That that was the one I, I, I first described this record to Megan as like <laughs> if Dido sang for abandoned pools, who also had a black metal drummer. <laughs> like that was kind of like my like layered. One of the reviews I was reading of this album referred to it as sludge cranberries. <laughs> which <laughs> that's I a also great definition. There, there are some moments that I'm like, oh, there's a little bit of cranberry sound and stuff. Yeah, there. for sure. I think when the music is sludgier, her vocals are cranberrier. <laughs> <laughs> you, so, Dar- Darvel, like, even like, I, I don't know, did, did you not like that kind of like heavier female ledge or like late 90s kind of alt stuff? Like, is that not in your wheelhouse? Do you have some examples for me? Well, like like we were saying, like cranberries, like Veruca Salt, kind of. I I never, I had never heard of Veruca Salt until you guys talked about them way back in. Oh shoot, what's the name of the band? Mama, yeah. And uh, cranberries, I only know, you know, linger and zombie, and I mean, I like, I love the song linger. So like that, I don't know if I've been exposed to enough of it um, or if I'm just not remembering it, but of the little bit of it I've heard, it hasn't been like, oh, I don't like this. But if you're, we're going to say like the vocal effects and stuff are similar, then I probably would feel the same way about it. I think part of it too might just be like a prejudice towards Enya. So anything that's like <laughs> has like an Enya feel to it. I'm like, Oh, I don't like this. Right. Without ever giving it a fair chance. But, but at the same time, I grew up on like, I talk about this with Brittany a lot. Like if I didn't have my older siblings, the only music I would have known growing up is movie scores and like the one country Christmas album that is like the only album my mom has ever put on ever. <laughs> and uh so Enya was like I would go through my dad's, you know, 400 record collection to pull out Enya and listen to cuz it was the only thing that wasn't like movie <laughs> scores. And so like I I'm not against Enya, but uh you know, as I've gotten into different stuff, I I've never really gone back to Enya, so I think there's also like a geographic element, kind of European versus American vocals. And like, like we're, you know, Veruca Salt, Alanis Morissette, whatever, all these American singers are different in the way they sing. And then also the way they're produced, even from artists in their own genre. But certainly, like, I, I would say, Mirker's clean vocals, I'm more likely to compare them to like Euro, like dance music than like anything in the rock genre, you know, like, especially coming from Scandinavia, like I'm immediately going to like all of the Swedish, like pop machine bands and and producers is what I'm thinking when I hear her clean vocals. Well, and we get into that on the next track. Yeah, yeah. 
if we just want to segue to that because it's a pretty good yeah so next track is moth like i have some questions about this track but y'all go ahead and we'll get to them i did like this track of, of the tracks on the album this was the first one that grabbed my attention and uh you know it's in it's in my top three of the album i still don't think i I will probably never go back and listen to it after this episode of the podcast so but uh i mean other ones on here i was trying to listen to to figure out what it is i really like that like sound that kind of is going through in the beginning and stuff i wish i had I don't know. It might even just be like the hooks and the melody and stuff. So starting with the, uh, the thing that Darvel was just talking about that booga, 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 that, so that's an arpeggiator they're running. And something I think is pretty cool with it is in the beginning, it's just like kind of like high pitched, like kind of like bubbly synth. And then to transition into like the lead, they use like a filter that they open up. And that as that like opens up, then you get that first big hit when it switches to the synth lead. Something I didn't notice until um, I was like doing my deep dive on this record and like taking lots of notes is that the arpeggiator at the end is the same arpeggiator. It's just been chilling out muted and they've changed all the like like knobs on it. And so when they, they open it back up. It's exactly like on the beat. It's the exact same notes, exact same sequence. Huh. It, it just sounds completely different. That's cool. Uh, yeah. So I, I thought that was a neat that you, you bookend after you kind of go on this journey. So that's that's fun. Um, we mentioned Eurovision, and like thirty seconds when that synth lead comes in, like <laughs> it sounds like every Eurovision song to me. It's just like uh-huh. it's such a typical ba da bum ba ba da bum. Like if you change. <laughs> Yeah. And part part of that dance feel comes from the fact that you have this like four on the floor right. from the bass drum the whole time. But what the drum the drummer does this pretty clever with it is that as it's the four on the floor four is going, you have the snare come in on beat three. Yeah. He gradually shifts it into this like backbeat thing. And then after that goes for a little bit, um, he switches the hi-hats to the upbeat and then puts the backbeat on the two on the three and the six or the halftime two and four. Yeah. So you, you get this like this like very long, like uh kind of like rhythmic accelerando. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I love that you use that term. And Joey's like, right, 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 right. Like, that's, a, <laughs> that's a common term when talking about an album, right? That's a <laughs> so a, a cello rondo is uh, a musical term, right? When you um, get faster in the music, like accelerating. That, oh, okay, yeah. So what a rhythmic a cello rondo is is where is it like the opposite of a retardando type thing? Yeah, yeah. It's lit- that's literally okay. what it is. Okay, cool. the The difference is. With a rhythmic 
at Chelorondo, the beat's actually staying the same. You're just changing the subdivision to make oh, it feel okay. like it's going faster. Interesting. Huh. So so on this one, he the, the driver's going, uh, uh, cha, uh, 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 cha, uh, uh. Uh, uh, and then when that next section happens, it becomes, uh, mm, cha, mm, uh, uh, and so he puts that huh. kind of like that, like syncopation in there, which makes it feel, and then eventually you get this, uh, so just like constantly, and you can replace all of what I just sang with the actual <laughs> clips from the song, <laughs> but I like um, the singing. It's good. But yeah, that's, that's what that is. It's just, it never gets faster, but it feels like it's getting faster. Yeah, that's interesting. We also get some really good black metal in, you know, towards the middle of the song when the super fast drums come in and the harmony guitar solo and one of the notes i made is i'm just surprised like how much like it's so soft like the like yeah. the heavy stuff it's like i just like turn it up like wait, wait is there something there like it's i would you know would expect that stuff to be more in your face but is that a genre thing or is that a mirror thing so i think it's mainly a mirror thing like I agree. It's almost like she uses black metal at times, almost like you'd use a sample. You know, she's just yeah. like bringing it in and mixing it in. It is also true, though, that in black metal, like when you, some, you know, even an artist who's like firmly, we're doing black metal, it is not mixed the same as like listening to, like, for example, that Lorna Shore album, the way that album sounds, like setting aside the style of music, but like the way it sounds is very different than like traditionally how black metal is mixed. It's like, you don't get that like big pumping, compressed, bombastic. A lot of the times it is more of just like, almost just like you flip the on switch and it's just like, ah, <laughs> just going. Yeah. So, it, and obviously there's exceptions to that, but like it can have this kind of in fact, a lot of the black metal, I, black metal I really like, even though it's very fast and raw and, and everything, it almost has like a droning effect because it is just this like static thing without a lot of dynamic variation. So this is my question. I'm not a lyrics. We've talked about this. I'm not a big lyrics guy. I have to really force myself to pay attention to them most of the time. So I listen to some obviously a bunch over the last year, but then preparing for this podcast a bunch, but I only listened with lyrics up to like take some notes maybe a couple times. I think like the first half of this song seems to be about like parental anxieties. It's like she's watching her child sleep and is like, I, I, I can't stop watching because something bad will happen. You know, like this, I know like a very common fear with new parents is like worrying about like, the, their child like dying in the night you know what's weird that that thread goes away about halfway through and it seems like this song switches into like a weird 
anti-lockdown, anti-masking COVID thing, (laughs) which is very weird because to my knowledge, in my, I've not seen Mirker really get engaged politically one way or the other. Like you do see a lot of musicians tweeting their opinions or whatever on Instagram, but like she kind of isn't a political figure, but the lyrics of this song like when it gets into the like stand in line, your freedom is how you pay for it. Just cover your face and stay in line. Uh, to me, sounds very like, cause she wrote some of these songs during the pandemic. Her son was born during the pandemic. And she said that was very interesting that like having a new baby when like you didn't go anywhere and like worrying about like, what kind of world is this kid going to grow up to be in? And I, I don't know. It's like, what do you think about that? I the the only reason I have anything to say is because I happened to watch the music video for this song. I did too. And okay, so yeah, they've got their eyes covered by uh, you know whatever wrappings or something throughout the whole thing. At the very end, she comes out and is like taking it off, and they're able to see and everything like that. And so that's you know when I'm was reading the lyrics, just cover your face. Yeah, that's kind of more of what I was seeing, like kind of like the blindfold type thing with faith. You know, there's lots of stuff in there. Right. But uh, at the same time, that all could apply to the whole, you know, pandemic, you know, the way people feel about wearing masks and stuff like that. So not saying that that makes your idea of what it's about invalid, but. No, and I don't, I don't want to say like, I think that's what it's about. But like when I finally sat down and read the lyric to read the lyrics, I was like, is that what it's about? Because like, you know, there is this whole like kind of ignorant, reactive, like anti-authority streak in in metal, you know, where it's like, oh, well, the man wants me to do this. So I should do the opposite just kind of reflexively. And you know, so I don't. I don't know if maybe that was an expression, but also, like you said, it could also just be kind of a general like wake up sheeple, think for yourself sentiment as well. So I, I don't know. It, it, it's funny because when you said that, I was thinking through that. I pulled the lyrics back up and read through the beginning. And I was like, I, I totally see that interpretation, but that was not how I took the lyrics at all. Yeah, I, I took it as like, this is still a, a song about a parent who's concerned about their kid who's like have faith in me i told you not to go out there follow my lead kind of thing like yeah th- that, like that was, i want to protect you yeah that, that was how i took it but um i will say your interpretation is a lot funnier and that is how i'm going to continue <laughs> to listen to this song from now on <laughs> I, it kind of bummed me out like and, and i mean it's also kind of funny because like if you were to tell someone like hey i was listening to this black metal artist and I read the lyrics and I think one of the songs might be about something bad. They would have a lot of theories that are way worse than this about like, I think she doesn't like wearing a mask because like, in fact, like there's an entire, there's like a, a user populated website you can go to, to like check if, and to what degree the black metal band you're listening to is associated with Nazis, like (laughs) where it's like, oh, they are openly Nazis. Or like, oh, one time the singer of this band did record an album with this other guy who is a Nazi. Or like, 
it's a big problem in black metal. And like a lot of people, myself included, do not listen to those artists that have these views because I think it's terrible. You know, you get into the whole like art versus the artist debate. But like, I do think not liking wearing a mask is maybe lower on the severity uh, ladder than than many alternatives in black metal. <laughs> I was just going to add that uh, listening to the song again, I think what really what I really like about it is the the melody and the chorus. It's a really strong chorus. I like it. Yeah, it is. She. These are very different kinds of hooks than like we got from Within Temptation, which I think would probably admit like if maybe they're not trying to be cheesy, but at least like we don't care if it's cheesy. Whereas I think Mirker does care and tries not to be cheesy, (laughs) you know? So I think the hooks end up being different, but there are hooks here. They, she, I mean, there's lots of parts on this album that are very catchy. Yeah. And I would, with that comparison, I, if someone were to ask me like the difference between this album and that album, I probably would say like, Oh, that album is like this one, just way cornier. So (laughs) she's doing a good job. I agree. (laughs) Uh, so next song, My Blood is Gold. I think this is a really pretty song. Um, I don't I don't have a ton of specific things to say about it, but I do think it's very it's very pretty. I think she you can tell like all the time she spent digging into like Scandinavian folk and like neo folk music over the past couple albums. She knows how to make a pretty melody, you know, and, and craft a good song. I do like the, I guess you could almost call it text painting the, like on the, where she says into the fire pit. Into the fire. the kind of descending vocal line one it's very very pretty the like the way that everything just kind of everything just kind of sinks down like tonally into these like the low you know the really low register of the piano and the low register of her voice as she's saying like into the fire pit I, I think is a really cool moment and then you get into the like fuzzy chord progression after that I like that that hook is my favorite part of the entire song. And and one of the reasons why the, the whole song is neat because you have this kind of like repeated structure of the of the F sharp to the minor second dissension back to the ascension. Say the uh, that kind of like happens throughout mm-hmm. the entirety of the track. But the the chorus is very firmly rooted in B minor, but that into the fire pit uses the B flat. Mm-hmm. And, and and that so you have on the upper end the like kind of like the black notes sandwiching the white notes and yeah raises and then falls yeah I, I hadn't really thought of it before parts of it almost remind me of Tori Amos thinking about like kind of weird piano playing song kind of non-typical song structure 
it, it kind of reminded me of, of that some. So I, after my like intentional listen through of the whole thing, taking notes, I had three that were like my, these are my top three songs, which Moth Like was one of those. And when I went back, the first two that I had put on, I was like, oh man, I don't like these anywhere near as my number one song. So there's like a huge gap for me between my favorite song and the rest of the album on here. But this one, now that I'm listening to it again, is much closer. Like this is possible. I mean, I feel I can't say it now because I'm admitting that I, I hadn't given it a fair listen to. But from listening to those other songs again, going back to it, I feel like I like it better. Like this might be my number two song. And the other surprising thing with that is I typically like the slow songs. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. Not enough energy there for me. So it's surprising how much I am enjoying the slow songs in this album. One reason for that, though, might be that I just don't like the album. So the ones that have energy aren't like enough for me to be like, oh, wow, I like this. Again, I don't love all the effects and everything happening in these songs. And so I like kind of stripped down to just the piano and vocals with the string stuff happening. But then all of the shifting strings that you were talking about is just really cool really cool effect and especially the way that's used throughout the song in those different ways is uh yeah i really like it i i did want to ask about the lyrics here um and kind of how you guys interpreted them as i was listening to it without looking them up i was like oh this is like a warrior on the battlefield and then as i'm looking at it again i'm like maybe it's like a luciferian figure who's fighting like a i don't know <laughs> it's, it's hard to tell it's like yeah because i mean kind of generally it's like blood on the battlefield type type thing but there there's the weird stuff about like your words deceive me and your final hour like it, i'm not sure and then the like the falling in the fire pit is kind of the paradise lost kind of like I've learned in this podcast how bad I'd, I am at understanding lyrics. So <laughs> I don't I don't have any input other than what you guys have mentioned. It's hard to tell. It's why I usually don't pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to spine. The title track. I'll go ahead and say this is towards the top of my list on this album. I really like this song a lot. I think something that's kind of funny, like most metal genres, black metal is very men dominated by men, you know, masculine aesthetics and posturing. And I think this song although it's not quite a metal song, I think this song demonstrates like womanhood and even motherhood has like a lot of very like rich imagery that kind of lends itself to metal. Like I love in this song that she talks about like the very like physical element of like being a mother in terms of like, I, I, I made your spine 
like is like a very like powerful statement, you know, that like, I think a lot of times lyrics about having a mother, being a mother, focus on the emotional relationship, you know, or kind of intangible things. But I think this song where she's talking about, like, I literally like my body made parts of your body. Like, it's like a very powerful image. I don't know. That really struck me for some reason. Yeah, that's a cool lyric. I didn't realize, I mean, until you mentioned it, all of the, you know, having her child and all the mother elements in the music and stuff. But I was looking at the album cover again and was like, oh, could it be some kind of like how like a spine is branching off from the other spine being created? But I don't like that idea. The doesn't match the picture well enough for me. <laughs> if it was like one single spine with another one coming out, like. I think the the opening melody of this is is pretty neat. It has this kind of like Beatles or monkeys kind of feel. And part of that, I don't know, it, it's it's it, it's in Dorian. So mm-hmm. like there might be some like aspect of that that's kind of like gives the kind of like vintage feel to it a little bit. But uh, what does that mean in Dorian? It, it, it's in uh, it's in a Dorian. So we're talking about modes. You know how like there's like minor scales and major scales. Mm-hmm. So those are technically like when you get into music theory stuff, those are actually called modes and there's different kinds of minor and major scales. So like the main, what we would call like the major scale, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, is actually the Ionian mode. And then like the minor scale that we have is actually the Aeolian mode. Another minor scale is called the Dorian mode. And it's the same, it sounds very similar to like what we would think of as the minor scale, except the one of the pitches, the sixth note of the scale is raised a half step. You can find all these modes by starting on different notes of a scale. So like if you imagine a piano going C to C, that's your major scale. And then A to A on the white keys is your minor scale. If you were to go D to D on the white keys, that's a Dorian, the D Dorian mode. And so like it, it, you can derive all these modes from different scales. A lot of folk music in general, but certainly like uh, British, Scandinavian, French, a lot of European folk music is in the Dorian mode. Yeah. So the way that I would teach like my students is I would just teach them to play a scale. And then as you go and then start the scale on the next note up and keep the the notes the same. Hmm. So, so for instance, here, this is like a. Uh, there's there's one sharp, so it's like G major, right? So. But its tonal center is A. So if I play the G major scale, but I just start on A and end on A, that would be the the Dorian. And then the way I would teach them is I did Pilates last Monday and liked it, <laughs> which is the first letter of each mode. So Ionian, Ionian Dorian, Dorian uh, oh, Phrygian, Phrygian Lydian, Lydian, Mixolydian, Mixolydian, Aeolian, Locrian. Yeah. <laughs> and then Ionian again. So, yeah, (laughs) it is fun. We're talking about modes today because I last maybe two nights ago, 
I heard a word that I was I I added it to my band name list of uh outmoded and uh it means like old fashioned. Anyway, I was mm-hmm. like, oh that could be a cool band name, outmoded. Well, and it's actually kind of cool, like album book club callback. Um, the album kind of blue that we talked about, it's like big contribution to jazz is a lot of people refer to that genre as modal jazz because like instead of playing chord changes, we're just going to hang out in this mode the whole time. And the chords are all kind of moving around, but we're just staying in this mode. So it all fits together. Well, I guess I'm a fan of the uh, Dorian mode because sounds good. I enjoy the Beatles and I love the verses in this song. And I, I don't know what it is, but I really love the, like the, you made me human. Oh, well, like that alone. I was like, okay, I, I marked it as one of my favorite songs from that. So this one wasn't my original top three, but I think those elements, the, the verse in that little pre-chorus piece, I'm a big fan of. There's a thing at two minutes. It's like this like bendy thing. Is it like that sound like? Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know what that is, but I I love it. It's super cool. Same. It's, I think it's acapella. I think it's like a, a person going like, do, 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 do. That's cool. I, I just, I, it's, it's a sound that like stuck out every time I listened to it. And I was like, man. Yeah. I just, the last thing I had to say about this song, uh, I really like the loud, soft dynamics are really good that like the song goes from just like nothing at times to like huge at times. So next song, track six is Valkyrie and his song, which means song of the Valkyrie. Uh, interestingly, this is the only song on the album that's in Danish and one of really one of one of her only songs that's in Danish, even though she is Danish, she doesn't sing in Danish very frequently. This is where this song sounds a lot of it sounds like Viking metal, like the genre of Viking metal. And then, of course, the lyrics are also about Viking stuff. I love this song. It's cool. Yeah, it's just it's just super fun. I love how she starts out with this like really deep like haunting vocal. And then by the end of it, you get what I've wanted to hear the whole album. Just this like powerful like. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, it's cool because like you said, up until now, we've heard like basically two kinds of singing. We've heard like kind of safe, melodic, mid-range singing. And then at times we've heard like raw, shrieking black metal stuff. And in this song, you actually hear her really belt it out at times. 
another thing about the vocals, this like kind of like chorus effect at like the one minute 46 mark. I'm not sure if it's just like super multi-tracked vocals or if it's actually like a choir singing. But I really love that vocal delivery there too. Yeah, I, I like to think it's a choir just because of the the lyrical theme that like all the Valkyrie like flying around coming to collect the bodies, you know? I don't love this song. It's a... Uh, so what's this drum beat called? Like that's it's, used the, in the chorus and the intro. It's weird. We keep referring to it as bla- as blast beats, but they're not really because like normally I'm thinking of blast beats like blast beats like in death metal, and these are rhythmically different. What would you call this, James? Yeah, I, I guess they're like really fast D beats a little bit. I it's I like, don't know. Because they kind of have this like like triplet feel to them, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's also it's kind of loose, right? And so I, I mean, it, it it's it's instantly like this is black metal. Like that's what the drums sound like in black metal. I wish I knew like if there's a specialized word for it. Yeah, and, and the the thing about metal drumming is like there are so many techniques that you use that are so specific to metal drumming. That unless you live in that world all the time, like you can't know, <laughs> I, I don't feel like there's any way to be proficient in what all those things are. The bass drum just sounds inhuman. Yeah. And, and I, had a, I had a student one time, he asked me, he's like, is this real? And I was like, well, yeah, it is. And he's like, well, how do you play it? And so I explained to him like, well, when you're playing bass drum this fast, you're, you're actually doing double strokes with your feet. Like you do a double stroke roll, like on a marching snare but with your feet. And he's like, but how does he do so fast? It's like, that's all he ever does. Like, like that's it's athletic feats. He doesn't play. He doesn't work on his, on his jazz patterns. He doesn't work on his Latin. He doesn't know the difference between a bossa and a samba. <laughs> this is all this guy does for a living. So that was a very long explanation to say that I have no idea what to call this. I, I guess you'd call it a blast beat, except instead of the blast, where the snare is, is different. And what, how the beat is subdivided is different. But I guess from a technique standpoint, you'd still call it a blast beat, I guess. But because even with blast beats, right, there are like three typical patterns. You have the one where it's it's the bass and the hi-hat together and the snare in between. Mm-hmm. You have the one where it's the, the snare and the hi-hat together and you're playing every single note while also doubling that on the bass drum. Right. And then you you have this kind of like weird like halftime I'm moving my hands together and then just playing my feet twice as fast. Those are those are all blast beats. I don't know the difference between them. Well, the bad news is, Darvel, if you don't like that style of drumming, you probably won't like black metal because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's 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 pretty essential. It's like I I chuckle every time I hear it because I just imagine some like. 10-year-old that just got a drum set like, hey mom, check this out. <laughs> like, especially the snare just with that kind of like almost triplet feel, but like you were saying, James, loose, like it's like, what? Because there's other parts 
in the album where it's I don't know, kind of more of like what I expect of like the double kick you hear in metal and stuff that it has this feel, but it doesn't have that snare in there that it just sounds so. I don't know what the right term is for, but I just always picture like a kid on the drums, like kick me out, which is probably not funny to anyone that's able to do it because (laughs) that was my other question with it too, though. James is like, I imagine there's really difficult elements of, trying to play that drum beat yeah even you know we spent a long time talking about the feet but even in the hands there's this idea of uh what we call push pull which is where you're you're getting the one stroke from the wrist and then the second from the fingers so you have this kind of like rocking back and forth so you can't practice just this way and you can't practice just this way you have to practice two distinct motions and they feel different (laughs) in your hand um it's it's a super fun thing to do with like like people who are like getting more and more advanced in drumline kind of stuff because like once they they know the hack they're like I can use this for so many things it's like yeah but it's, it comes from like metal drumming it's kind of fun <laughs> <laughs> I saw Behemoth live one time and their drummer who his like stage music name is Inferno it was it's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen like not even just musically, but just like as a feat of physical skill. Like I've never done this, but I suspect like you could take his drumming and put it into a DAW and stretch it to 50% and he'd be lined up on the beat still. Like even though he's playing, you know, 16th notes at 300 BPM, like it's so precise and clean and even live, you know, of course on the album, it's going to, they can do whatever they want, but like even hearing it live, it was just like this perfect, like machine gun sound. It it, it was incredible. And, and I think we mentioned on the podcast at one point in time, um, Tomas Haki from Mashuga, another famous example of that. He's just, they, they program the drums on the album and then he plays everything they program live. Like it's just, inhuman um I, I i do also want to mention uh the push pull thing i said yeah, it comes from metal buddy rich actually was very prominent in using it first um but it was kind of like his like gimmicky trick he would do in like the tonight show when he was on there so so anything further about valkyrie and his song i did want to mention the screaming which again just always threw me off in this track and was it uh moth like that it's in anyway Mm -hmm. that again just caught me off guard that it was like oh is there screaming let me turn it up rather than you know typically when they're screaming it's like right out in front but i i typically don't like screaming but i feel like her screaming is i don't know i i enjoy it i like it i wish it was more in front than it is yeah, if, if you get the chance, I mean, both of you, if you haven't listened to any of her older stuff towards the beginning of Mirker when she was just doing black metal, it's good. I mean, like, it, if even if you don't like black metal, but just kind of want to hear like what, what, it, what was she, how did she do black metal just as black metal? It's, it's, it's pretty awesome. So moving on to track seven, Blazing Sky. 
I have to imagine, given the way it sounds, the intro sounds and the title, that this is an homage to the Dark Throne album, A Blaze in the Northern Sky. She said Dark Throne was like her first obsession when she was like getting into metal. Uh, that's like one of the most important, highly regarded black metal albums. And like it's the, the beginning of this song sounds just like a Dark Throne song. And then the, the you know, the title is kind of a giveaway f- for me. That's kind of my theory. Yeah, it's a it's a super old school riff in the beginning that we, we don't really hear about much anymore. And I, I was trying to place it because it does it does have a familiar but I was I was like going through like the Rolodex of bands in my in my catalog and I was like, ah, it's not quite this. So Dark Throne makes sense. I, I love a couple things about this. The chorus is just so good. It's just such a it's just a good metal chorus. Um and then the this is stupid, but I love the organ on the outro. I just it's a it's a neat thing we haven't really heard about. And and there's there's good use of synthesizers all throughout this record. Could you light me up until I fade away? But the the patch choice was just kind of we don't hear that a lot, I feel, in modern metal. Ghost is like the only band I can think of that actually uses like an organ still. So hearing that I just enjoyed. And it's funny, like, I agree that her use of synthesizers on this album is clever and innovative. And a a lot of people, I think, criticize her for the stuff that I think is cool, like Mm -hmm. melodic singing, synthesizers, whatever. But weirdly, black metal has a very long history of synthesizers. There's a whole genre of black metal called uh, dungeon synth, (laughs) which is just like drony. It sounds like pretty cheap, crappy stock patches on keyboards, just like drony, ugly synth stuff. Um, I don't really like it very much, but all that's to say that black metal has had synthesizers for a very long time. So this this song was where I was hearing a lot of like cranberries sounding vocals and like the verse and stuff. And I I really like the verse of this song. I do not like the chorus. It uh I guess that's just the difference between me and James and our <laughs> taste in music. It just <laughs> I don't know what it is. I think, yeah, I just, the melody, I don't know. I, my favorite time, like at the end of the song, when everything's stripped out and it's just the piano that then goes into the last round of the chorus without anything there, that was when I was like, oh, okay, I like this, but. Could you send me into a blazing sky? Maybe it's just with all the vocal effects and everything that's on the chorus in the rest of the song. I don't. It's just too much for me. The The other weird thing about this song is like in the intro, 
there's like some lead something like sweeping that's like and it's like really interesting but it's like it's like it accidentally got the fader down like i could imagine the someone being like wait what happened to my sweet lead i was playing there at the beginning of the song is that in my head or can you guys hear that it's like super buried in the mix i never noticed that until it's like a super faint like type thing yeah i don't i i'd like put my my volume all the way up to hear what you were talking about but i was like that's like i think my favorite part of the song but it sounds like it just doesn't exist (laughs) (laughs) that was someone's kid that came in the studio with them and they were like yeah just go do that part over there (laughs) (laughs) they're playing minecraft (laughs) yeah uh anything else on blazing sky yeah the uh what the one other thing i just wanted to highlight is again kind of like with the the text painting on the fade away i always thought that's kind of neat yeah so next song, uh, Devil in the Detail, track eight. Go ahead, Darvel, tell us how much you hate this song. No, this is my <laughs> number one song. Was that a joke, James? Or- I-, I really thought you were going to hate this one. No, I freaking love this song. I've listened to this one most out of all of them when I realized it was my favorite. I I agree. I think this is one of the stronger tracks on the album. Even the stuff that maybe Darvel, based on what you've said, that you maybe didn't like about this song, like the black metal parts. For me, I'll say the black metal that happens on this track is maybe the best black metal on the album. I think it's kind of a shame it happens so late in the song and then goes away pretty quickly but like that little chunk of black metal towards the end is just like so good yeah and then overall the song the whole song is great yeah the verse the melody with the chord progression especially just the piano and the strings like so good so like intriguing grabbing like oh what is this i want to hear more and then when it takes it into the chorus, like when I, if I write a song that has any of those elements that I'm like, oh, I love this. I have the hardest time with it because it's like, I love the verse too much to be able to write a chorus for it without it just <laughs> sounding like just more verse kind of thing. And so, and I, and I feel like I've experienced like, especially in like pop songs and stuff where it's like, Oh, someone wrote a really good chorus and just stretched it into a song, but there's really like not enough different things in this for it to be a full song. The chorus is completely different. Has that really cool, like plucking sound in the background and stuff so that it's like, I I don't think the chorus is as strong as the verse, but I'm glad that it is different. So then when we get back to the verse, it's like, Oh yeah, I forgot how much I love this rather than just that getting burned out through the whole song. I'm just really surprised you like this because <laughs> I like this song a lot too. 
but I see this song and like humans as being very similar songs. <laughs> like, like both also. of them sound like they could be an outro to a CW. <laughs> like, oh, <yeah. laughs> show. like, like in, in the moment where it's like the angsty teen and like the camera's panning out, like you could hear this come over the credits. Like, but I, I, I feel like both of those songs do that. I, I like the glitch elements in here. I also like the way the vocals are double tracked with the ah thing. I also really like the pizzicato strings. Unlike the last metal, the Within Temptation album, this is actually how they would be used in an orchestral <laughs> setting. And uh, it sounds great. And I'm pretty sure they're, I don't, I, I can't say all, but much of the orchestral strings on this album are real. Especially on this song, we get a really good listen to um, the cello tone. I love the cello tone on this song. There's like, it's right on the edge. You hear, like, you really hear like the bow rasping on the string, and it's, it's like right on the edge of being ugly. We eat the sun. But it's like this really strident, strong, a little bit raw sounding cello tone that is so good. And I think you're probably right that it is recorded live. I will say, though, like we've gotten to the point now where sample libraries are just stupid. Yeah, that's true. I, I have the the BBC Symphony Orchestra sample library, and there are so many options where you can do like solo cello solo cello heavy bow weight solo cello <laughs> light bow weight solo cello wow. midpoint on bow solo cello like tip of bow martelle solo cello and it's all those same yeah. sounds again but with a different technique applied so i agree with you it does sound live but if it was programmed it could be yeah that's true i went back to listen to like humans to see if you know what the difference is or maybe if it's like oh listening to it in that perspective i love this <laughs> song too but i i think a big thing is the instrumentation i think the reason i love this song so much is that piano and string in the verse is just so good it's it makes me feel like some of the damian rice fiona apple stuff that i like it just kind of has that feel to it that I really enjoy that. And it's possible if you take this type of instrumentation and were to put that on like humans, then you might be like, oh, yeah, I love this, too. But that's why it works so well here for me. I was actually going to make a joke about this being Damien Rice core. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but but I was like, maybe that's too like esoteric. So that's funny. You brought that up. There we go. So last track on the album, track nine, uh, Miniske Barn, which means... Child of man, child of mankind. It's like a lullaby for her son. I think this song 
is just so pretty. Like, <laughs> just, I mean, it sounds kind of trite to say it like that, but like, it really is just so pretty. Like, I don't listen, I don't, and I can't listen to music like when I'm trying to sleep. I, I could probably listen to this at night. Like, I think it'd be nice to hear at night. The chord progression here is very interesting, like very creative progression and moving for the chords she moves between. Are, it's very interesting. It like completely surprises my ear, but at the same time doesn't sound jarring or, or like I'm being clever for clever's sake, you know? Yeah, I, I always appreciate when artists who use a lot of electronic elements or like large ensemble pieces kind of have one of these tracks on the record as like a I can do it all myself yeah. like you think I need it all this like no I'm just this good it, it's a especially like as like the last track on the record is it's like it's not it's not cocky but it's it's kind of like uh I don't know just like knowing the confidence of knowing that you can do it <laughs> like yeah well and also like cluing you into the fact that like this is a songwriter. Like you could imagine maybe all of the songs on the album could have started like this, you know, and then been developed into their, their final product. I also just realized this is the second album I've picked for this podcast that closes with a song for their baby boy. <laughs> I picked that bare naked ladies album stunt that ends with that, uh, song about the lullaby for his son. So well, Within Temptation also ended with a song about a baby boy in the forest. So That's true. He becomes the king of everything. Maybe I need to go. I'm going to have to like every album I like check and see. Does this song end? Does this album end with a song about a baby boy? That We're getting pretty Freudian here is the thing. Like maybe I'm the baby boy. Like, <laughs> oh, hey. You have brought up Evangelion a few times too. It's true. Joey. It's true. I'm I'm having some deep thoughts now. <laughs> you've also you've also mentioned going back to the track before, just like Shinji does at Evangelion. So it's true. It's true. It also really resonated with the like motherhood of this album. So yeah, I'm I'm we're getting fully Freudian here. <laughs> I like the song. It's like you said. It's nice. It's pretty. It's the instrumentation in it. I really enjoy all the different elements that come into it. And uh, yeah, that's uh, we have like a little lullaby playlist thing that we have for our kids that occasionally they listen to. And this one fits right in. Throw it on there. Well, that is the end of the song. It's only nine tracks and what, like 35 minutes long. It's not a, not a very long album. Uh, any Any thoughts on the album as a whole having gotten on the other side of it yeah i think the album is just just delightful to dig into like i said there's so many uh intelligent music choices there's so many um so many sounds and so many timbres that are just fascinating i i loved kind of puzzling it out um but at the same time, it's not like the Lorna Shore record where it's inaccessible. I think that you could very easily give this to anyone who's never experienced any type of, of black metal 
And I think that this is something that they could listen to and understand. And it might be a bit like what Darvel's saying from like an outsider's perspective of like, I don't get when the drums do this or I don't get why the guitar does this here. But I, I think as like a complete piece of art, there's no denying the the amount of work that went into the crafting of these songs. And uh, it's not my favorite album. I, I do think some parts of it are a little bit slow. And, and usually, like I said, when I'm listening to music in the car, because I have to drive so much, I don't want things like that lullaby at the end playing. But um, if I can be home, you know, with a with a hot cup of coffee and like have time to have like my nice headphones on and like sit in my sound system, like I think that I would really enjoy listening to this on like a Sunday morning. Yeah, kind of go back to my initial comments on the album. I don't love it. I'll probably never go back and listen to it. I have enjoyed kind of being surprised at which songs like really won me over in the end, especially that devil in the detail. And then, I mean, while we were talking about it, the, my blood is gold. That was refreshing to have my favorite songs being the kind of slower of them, but really cool elements in those. I'm Brittany's going to assume that uh, Joey's favorite music is a uh, hobbit rock and that's uh, or hobbit metal that uh, <laughs> think that that's that's what he rocks out to so but yeah it's a fun listen uh, one thing i'll say about this album that is fully taking advantage of the fact that not many people listen to our podcast so i don't have to worry about making too many people mad the album folklore by taylor swift which listening to how people describe that album and then you finally listen to the album and you're like, oh, th- this is it. <laughs> like, like, and like looking at the cover of the album, it's like a person in like black and white forest. Like this Mirker album or any Mirker album, you should listen to that instead of Folklore by Taylor Swift. <laughs> And I say, I don't hate Taylor Swift, to be clear. I have no problems with Taylor Swift. But everyone's like, yeah, it's like about a woman in the forest and it's like deep and introspective. And you just want to like get a cup of coffee and listen to it and think about, you know, this kind of moody. And I'm like, are we listening to the same album? <laughs> because like in my <laughs> head, the thing you just described should sound like a Mirkur album and not sound like a Taylor Swift album written by the guy from the national. So just, just in case there are any Swifties that listen to us, you probably just got really mad. (laughs) (laughs) I I did have this fear last week after the 100 gex episode, because we always joke about how like the artists are never going to listen to this. And then I was like, if there was ever an artist to listen to this and share this, it would definitely be, 100 gex (laughs) like they i could easily see them being like like just typing in like lulls and like sharing the link and i was so terrified of what might come of that so very thankful that hasn't happened yet yeah and (laughs) along the same lines if there were ever a fandom to have some sort of elaborate monitoring system for any (laughs) negative swift talk it would be taylor swift's fan so we'll well, I, luckily, I'm not logged into our Instagram, so James, you'll have to receive all the hate mail. Um, 
if you want to manage our social media, Joey, I'd be more than happy to hand the keys to the kingdom over. <laughs> yeah. And and once again, I do not mind Taylor Swift. <laughs> I'll I'll post this episode. Hashtag Taylor sucks. <laughs> yeah. I just wish she was Mirker. <laughs> well, really, I wish she was uh I wish specifically the folklore album was a Mirker album. So who's who's picking the next thing? I guess it's Darvel, right? Yep. And this one, I mean, talking about being surprised, this album, I don't understand why I keep coming back to it. Even when we were talking about, you know, ending the season of the podcast, what we're doing after we each picked our themes. I was worried with one of your suggestions, James, that we weren't going to come back to 2023 album because I was so excited to do this one. But I don't understand why. It's uh, the murder capital. The album is called Gigi's Recovery. Are either of you familiar with the band, The Murder Capital? I've never heard of any of these words. Nope, me either. <laughs> so I'm glad that'll make it more interesting. The little thing here on Apple Music says, the Dublin post-punk band explores the darkest corners of the self. <laughs> I usually like Irish bands, so. I stumbled into this album by when we were doing the first uh, round for this season, um, just our you know favorite from 2023 so far. Joey, you had shared uh, like Wikipedia with all the albums that had come out in the year so far, or that were on that page. Mm-hmm. And I had started going through and just pulling um, the like most streamed song from each of those albums onto a playlist. I only made it through like mid February because there's a lot. <laughs> anyway, I listened to that for a while and then started like filtering it down to like songs I was interested in. There's a song from this album that was on there. And then I started going through and listening to the albums. And this album, again, it's unlike most music that I put on. But it just, I just throughout the year was like, what do I want to listen to? Oh, man, I really want to listen to that one album. And as I kept coming back to it, I was like, all right, this is probably going to be my 2023 album pick. So we're finally here. GG's Recovery. GG's Recovery. 